Welcome, welcome to the Carl Vibe Show. Uh, you are live here tonight with us on the uh, YouTube channel, on Twitter, and also on Facebook. We have a really special guest tonight who has all kinds of experience into the physics research and scientific research revolving around the Uintah Basin with active research ongoing right now with credible uh, scientific devices that they have constructed and built to place in the community and around the entire region with the legends of the skinwalkers and sightings of UFOs and all sorts of paranormal activity uh, up in northern Utah in the Uintah Basin. We're joined tonight with Jim Segala. Let's go ahead and bring him on board. He's got over, uh, you know, degrees in physics and advanced degrees in uh, engineering and everything. Jim, how are you doing tonight, my friend? Very good. Very good. It's, I'm so glad to have you tonight. It's you know I talk to a lot of people who have a tremendous amount of experience with the phenomenon itself, with interesting uh, paranormal or energetic activity that live up in the Uintah Basin. I have family members that live up there. Sure. But it's really interesting to actually get the opportunity today to talk with you and kind of pick your brain a little bit because you've actually got the credentials in the background and you've been involved in the research ongoing in that area for quite some time. So maybe let's start there, Jim, if you want to give everybody a bit of a background about kind of your uh, scientific background, your education and sure. and how you got into this whole field of research and then we'll go from there. Okay. Yeah, sure. So I started out as an engineer back, you know, when I was younger um, you had some advanced degrees in engineering, worked in engineering all my life, decided to go back to school at some point to get a, uh, a PhD in physics and specialize in advanced physics topics. Um, and then also biological physics and things like that. I taught colleges, I taught at um, Ivy league colleges. And so then, um, once I got out of that whole education realm, I actually landed a really good position at a think tank in Austin, Texas, that was run by a, a very well-known scientist who has done a lot of things with the government and also in the private sector. And I was fortunate enough to uh, be involved with him. And of course, this particular agency or this particular institution that I worked with was um, there. They were the chief scientists for people like Bob Bigelow when he had his um, his his stint with uh, skin, the, um, the Uinta Basin and Skinwalker and things like that. And of course, so I got into the mix with all these people. And, and now it's like, you know, I see what's going on in different parts of the country, especially in the basin. And it leads me to the fact that, you know, there are a lot of good scientific things to be learned in that area. And I'm just pursuing to put devices and, and build experience and get some scientific data so I can answer some of the very crazy questions that are coming out of there. Yeah, I think that's one of the misconceptions is there's a lot of uh, this idea that the research that's going on around the Uintah Basin, that there's going to be some kind of big forensic lab that moves in or like the men in black are going to come in and show up with these, uh, you know, Escalades and all this scientific gear and everything. But really, ultimately, when people want to get research done, they actually want to try and detect anomalies or different things. They have to reach out to people like you that actually are scientists or have yeah. the, the background or the, the experience and education in the, the physics or whatever, and bring you into those projects to help design maybe even devices that don't exist in order to try and 
measure these anomalies and things. So how long ago would you say your initial involvement in these kinds of projects started? When, when did that all begin? So probably back in maybe 2008, 2009 area, when I started to work with the people that were involved with the ranch and, and the strange phenomena, you know, working for um, a gentleman by the name of uh, Dr. Hal Putoff, who has a really well-known uh, institution in Austin. And with his context, because he was, like I said, he was the, um, the chief advisor or the science advisor for Bigelow. He was on the boards of all sorts of things. So it's amazing the, the kind of exposure that you get when you work with people like that. You have so many experiences and, and then you get to see all the data. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, Bob Bigelow didn't have any data. He didn't share it. Well, he shared it with some people. And I was fortunate enough to be involved with those kind of people. And I saw some of the things that happened and worked with the data. So very fortunate. So, Jim, are you under certain contracts or NDAs where you're not allowed to talk about certain projects that you work on or that you're actively working on? So there's some projects that I work on now when I so I'm working a lot with the people that are out in the basin and around the country that have associate that I have associations with. Of course, I can't reveal anything about their personal. There's HIPAA. And there's all sorts of rules about that, but nothing, nothing that I have any contractual obligations with anybody I'm free to discuss. Um, there's certain things that I do, you know, I do go to Washington and brief certain members of the government. Uh, so I can't reveal any of that information. But besides that, I'm free to discuss whatever I want. In fact, I want to discuss a lot of this stuff because it's fascinating what, what we're finding out in the basin and around the country. And people should know. Yeah. Do you feel like that's something kind of where your position right now, where you feel like you know a lot of the answers or you feel like you've got solutions to some of the problems people are encountering, but you just aren't allowed to talk about it right now? Is that a frustration for you? No, I, I think we're free to talk about it. And actually what I tell everybody and I make sure everybody understands is that the reason that we're collecting the data is only to bring it out to the public in the form of either a scientific paper or maybe a book or a, a monogram or something like that. Right. And this is for, you know, of course, selfish for me to say, well, you know, it'd be really cool to, to figure this stuff out. But really, I think it's wise to bring it out to the people so they understand what's going on. And, and you know, they, there's a lot of people that are in the basin specifically that have fears of what happens. You know, they, they dread going out and they, and they have these experiences and, if I can give them some peace of mind to show them that there's, you know, this is really just a physical phenomenon or this is something that ex is explainable. I mean, that would help them on a lot. Right. So that begs the question is how do you approach that? You know, and I do want to circle back to, I mean, it's so fascinating that you mentioned Hal Putoff and Bigelow. You have certain names that revolve around this topic that seem to go clear back into these interesting programs because like Hal sure. Putoff, he was involved in the Stanford Research Institute projects with remote viewing, and that yes. bleeds over into the Gateway Institute research over at the, or the Monroe Institute, where they were studying the Gateway method for out-of-body travel. So there's all this consciousness studies and things like that that revolve around this in the background. But then at some point, the rubber meets the road, and you have you have this psychic phenomenon or subconscious phenomenon in these research studies going on. But then there's the, the actual reality of the research that has to occur as well. How do you, how do you study 
the paranormal? How do you study these upticks in energetic phenomenon in the community? And that's where someone like you comes in mm -hmm. to try and build devices or to create a way in order to capture or measure this stuff. Like uh, I hate to say, but like real Ghostbusters, what's the actual practical reality of measuring what's going on with right. this strange anomalies in the area? So um, this goes clear back research a long time. You got started in the like 2008, 2009 era around then. And I mean, back then a lot of it was pretty secret and not many, it wasn't as public like with the TV show and everything back at that time, right? So. Well, yeah, that was when Bigelow was doing a tip. Um, so all that stuff was very secret. I mean, nobody really advertised or broadcast that. I mean, there was some summaries printed, but you know, a lot of the a tip stuff. And then when he had Skinwalker Ranch, he never really published anything. So it was for him, it was very secretive. Mm. And then of course, when I worked for the Institute, they didn't really talk about it to with anybody else. They had a lot of private research, but now, now it's kind of like, it's out there. I don't, I don't think there's anybody. I think the, the people in the Skinwalker Ranch kind of keep everything kind of buried, but like the, the black rock people, they just love telling people stuff. And, they, and I think that's the way to go. I mean, I, why should people mm. be kept in the dark? It's, it's not the right thing to do. Yeah, I agree. It seems like there's a whole era of research and, and stuff that was going on. And it makes you wonder why so much of that has just been under wraps, especially with uh, Mr. Bigelow and why he doesn't reveal so much of it. But, you know, how, how does how does that your involvement in that work come up? Like, how does somebody like you working at your regular field of of work and teaching at universities and things to get scooped up for these side projects. Does somebody approach you and offer you a job or how does that happen? Well, you have, that's a really good question because it, everything happens as a happenstance, right? You just happen to be in the right spot at the right time or actually the wrong spot at the right time. And I had a certain set of skills. I was teaching a lot of biophysics. I was, uh, I understood a lot about how the body reacts to certain energies that are out there, you know, whether it's radiation or heat or anything like that. So there was a lot of cases that were in the area of when people would go to the hospital with these incredibly horrible ailments and diseases and the, and the attending physicians would just have no idea what's going on. Um, I was fortunate enough to be at a position with the Institute where they were called up by the owner of the one of the one of the places where this injury in a pretty significant injury occurred. And they asked for a group of scientists to come in and kind of take it from where the attending physicians at the emergency room left off to kind of give an explanation of why exactly did this person get sick. And I think a lot of people don't know about this case, but it was a case where somebody had been in the Uinta Basin. And they were hit by something and it changed their personality, went through a horrible week where, I mean, the whole personality changed, incredibly bad headaches. Um, he had big swelling in the back of his head, ended up in the hospital. They almost pronounced him, you know, like, go get your family, you know, because it's it's not going to be very good. Um, he did recover, but, you know, it, this scared everybody there and a lot, of, a lot of the people that were around him. And they called us in and said, you know, they called, called, a, they wanted a group of people to come in and say, okay, what really happened to this guy? And what was great was that it was all very new. I mean, it was just like weeks ago. So we had a lot of the information. Uh, the patient was still in that, that area where a lot of the things that were 
in his blood were still in his blood so we could do all sorts of tests on him hmm. and we discovered some very interesting things that uh, from that and that was you know one of the things that really turned me on to there is something going on here and it's not just a it's not something that people say oh that's just in your head you know or or you're making that up or you know you're just hallucinating I mean, if you have a if you have a physical phenomena that happens while you are have these experiences, you can't discount it. You know, this yeah. person had obvious radiation, radiation damage to his brain. He had skin lesions that show that there was something that happened. And when it comes down to it, you say, well, I, this, there's a physical thing. Your, your body really can't do that by itself. It needs some external sources to do that. So right. that's that how we got involved. Did he have that initial case? Did he have like any kind of a witness experience or was he just like suddenly feeling ill and then came down with these symptoms just randomly or was there a UFO encounter? Or? Well, there was, uh, you know, not a per se a UFO encounter. You have to realize that, you know, when you say what he did have an experience when he was given direction, you know, he felt that he was getting very, very strong direction from some outside voice prior to that for the week prior to that and you know he had when we did the histology and we actually interviewed him and wrote everything down it was like very interesting like the week before he would have these incredible headaches and he would be told what to do he was like instructed what to do um and then of course he got into the point where his personality just changed and, and his family members were asking him you know what's going on what's wrong and for a whole week he was just you know serious headaches checked into the hospital, said, I have an incredible migraine or whatever it was. They didn't know what it was. They sent him home and he went back the next day and says, look, you know, I'm really, really sick. I've got this big bump on the back of my head. I can't, you know, my, I'm, my vision is blurred. I'm getting terrible earaches. So at that point, I think the, it was like the attending says, yeah, there's something wrong with this guy. And of course he had this major lesion on the back of his head is like, you know, yeah. that, that just doesn't happen. And you say, well, you know, did you hit your head? Did you do, you know, somebody hit you or something? And there was no evidence of any trauma, nothing like that. So it was obvious something was going on. That's fascinating. So when you were brought in on this initial project, were you kind of debriefed on anything like about the anomalies going on within the basin? Or was it something where you were just brought in case by case to try and get an objective opinion as you saw the evidence without all that mythology and the folklore added into it? Yeah, at that point, I really didn't know much about the basin. It was I had knew a lot about what what Bigelow, the the data Bigelow had, because I had been working on some of that stuff. But it was more isolated, compartmentalized. But uh, when I was actually involved in this particular case, is when I started to get exposed to the possibility that there is some strange phenomena that seems to perpetuate all over the basin, hmm. and um, that piqued my interest. He says, "You know, what is this? You know, is it possible that this guy?" got hurt in the basin and there's other people that are going to get hurt. Is that something that, you know, I could help with? So. So then you got hooked from there. You got involved in that initial project, uh, trying to help this initial individual. And right. then there was, you, did you discover there was more cases and that this actually goes back quite some time in the area or. Well, I was, yeah, I was fortunate enough to work with a, a, an amazing, um, He's a neurologist, a forensic neurologist. So the kind of guy that goes back and looks at histologies and looks back at all the interesting things that happen to a lot of patients. And he had a stack of 
many, many patients, a lot of them that were boots on the ground with Bigelow, some just that just spent a lot of time. With, so there was, it turns out there's like a lot of cases that were um, piled up that were not too dissimilar from this. I mean, people going, hmm. believe it or not, catatonic. I mean, there was evidence where there was one individual, and this is well before the current owner was, this is back in the Bigelow day where the, one of the uh, the people you know, became catatonic, ended up in the hospital for weeks and weeks with a pretty, you know, very serious injuries. It's fascinating. So in that initial research, you're brought in with like a team of other people that have a different emphasis in their field of research and what they do. So you're kind of like one aspect of a whole group of individuals coming in to try and figure it out. And was there a sense that the that the the government had a keen interest in what you were doing, or was what you were doing kind of a compartmentalized faction of government research as well? Well, just to be honest with you, there was a um, after we did the the analysis and we did we came up with our collusion, we, we created our report. We were actually contacted by the um, government agency to come and brief them. So that's when we, you know, that was my first trip into Washington to brief them. So they were extremely interested. Mm-hmm. You know, they asked so many great questions. They wanted to know, you know, first of all, they don't tell you anything. They're not going to tell you anything, right. but they, they want to know. Um, so we, we shared it with them. We didn't want to keep anything secret. So we were, and a lot of the people that I worked with, the forensic neurologists, they were all ex-government employees with, you know, lots of years of experience doing this kind of thing. Right. That's so interesting. So you got involved with all of that and started researching it. How do you, how did you and your team begin to approach even studying it? Cause did you look at it from a, like this could be a geological phenomenon or this is a paranormal phenomenon, uh, something to do with consciousness or, or this idea of extraterrestrials, other dimensional beings, everything seems out on the table like a big buffet yeah. right now where everybody has so many different angles but back then in the beginning how did you guys a- approach it objectively to begin the research and to try and study it because it seems like it's so heavily to do with some sort of radiation signal or electromagnetics i don't know some microwaves or something cooking yep. people and affecting people what how did you guys approach it from there so on the team was myself as a biological physicist. Um, we had other physics. We had another physicist on the team, and but we had our, our medical doctor on the team. So what we did is approach it in a evidence-based analysis. So you always just go from what do you know and what can you build from there. So we looked at all the the CT scans, MRIs. Uh, you know they did a every every day that they were uh, in the hospital they would do blood draws and they would do pathologies and th- stuff like that on you know any fluids that they bring out so that all is all the medical data that you have and then you lay all that once you've uh, uh, and then of course that that's just part of it and then you have to go interview the person you have to interview the person interview the family members and you try to weed out and you ask you know you ask the same questions over and over again in a different way and you try to get cuz you know we're Human beings are great scientific instruments, but we're the worst scientific reporters because our brains get in the way. And then we, we say, wow, this is, that's a, you know, that's a phenomena that we, we see. But when we try to explain it to somebody, of course, we just spit in all our other junk that we got in our head. So um, you have to be very wary when you get stuff like that. But actually, it's um, 
So what we did is we we gathered all the, the medical, you know, verify verifiable medical data that we could possibly get. And then we go and we had all the human interaction, human inter interpretations that we can get. And then you lay all that out in front of you and you look at all the possible vectors that can happen or that can go into set, uh, doing something like this. You've got you got viral, bacterial, um, you know, autoimmune. There's all these all these different vehicles that can create these kind of symptoms and the uh, the result of this you know, inevitable result of this disease then you lay them all out and some don't fit you know some you just have to just completely throw away or i shouldn't say throw away you never throw away anything in science you always give it a a probability see the probability that it was autoimmune is, is lower because of these five things and so you kind of weed through all the things and what's left after the end is like the most probable vector that you can figure out and what we came up with is that look it was almost identical exactly what happened to this guy was almost identical identical to radiation um, exposure mm -hmm. but very very precise very high speed radiation exposure like he got hit with a pulse or something like that and then we went ahead and we did a complete mathematical analysis of this where we took the actual um, data that we got from all the imaging and everything like that and we ran scenarios that we thought and we kind of simulated all different radiation type of sources and these kind of things and compared them. And we finally came up with one that we, we have a certain um, type of radiation that we expose to a, a, a uh, mannequin type of thing. And it matched what this person had. So we kind of figured out it was what kind of radiation, how fast it was going and things like that. So it was pretty clear that it was um, something in that area. So what did you discover? What kind of radiation was it? And did it did it seem like it came from something geological or from outer space or what? That's such we a didn't know. Thing uh, you know we, didn't, we didn't really take it past the point where we said we knew what the source we, we knew the probability of what the source was. You know, then we said, OK, well, where could it possibly have come from was the next step in the investigation, which we didn't we didn't really come up with any true conclusion. But then. You know, we knew more about what we would have. You know, of course, you're never going to say, oh, it was a spaceship or something like that, or it was a right. government thing. And you never do that. I mean, it was always, you know, we knew that it was some some um, some radiation beam that came from someplace. Actually, we knew it was uh, elevated and it came down at a certain angle because of the way the the, um, the injury occurred and how it hit the, the back really? of the head and things like that. So you were able to tell by the direction of the radiation, like pulse on the victim yep. or whatever, that it did come from, it seemed like above and from behind them, it would seem like. Yes, that, that's correct. That's so yep. fascinating. It seems like some of the other evidence that has come around out of the basin seems to indicate that as well. Like there's a, a band of energy or something hidden that we can't quite perceive with our normal awareness that exists like up above. And people might say that those are, UFOs or whatever. I'm not necessarily convinced they're physical craft at this point. It could just be like an, an anomaly of perception when you look up and are in that zone. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's so interesting. So you've been involved in this work for quite some time and it's led you all around the basin and elsewhere into other parts of research. But really quick, uh, I wanted to talk about you know, what you've done up there in the Uintah Basin and how people can see the research that you're doing. Because that's what surprised me when I met you up there at the convention that we were at last year 
when I went into the Blind Frog Ranch outpost, I was amazed that there was a display there showing the actual scientific devices, the sensors, and even a screen showing some of the readings and how all of that works. And so, mm -hmm. you know, it's not just people going around with briefcases in the back of their car. This is an active community involved project that you've got going on now if we fast forward. So let's just take them a minute and talk about that. So you've sure. had these initial encounters and you and now you've got these devices and the system set up. So what, what are you working on now up in the basin? Well, one of the things that we learned and Bigelow learned this when he had all his scientists is that the phenomena, that's what everybody calls it, the phenomena you can't experiment it on it in a in a assertive way, unfortunately. You have to let things go the way they want to go. And you have to you have to bring in your instrumentation or you bring your observations in on a on a more of a passive basis. In other words, if you were trying to go out and Bigelow learned this, right? If you will go out there and you set up an experiment and you and you put, plug in all your wires and you wait for the thing to happen, it'll never happen. And he got so frustrated by this that he basically, after eight years, he gave up. So it was very clear that whatever we we're going to do, we have to do it with two, two things. We know it affects people in their normal life and normal day-to-day -day life. Hmm. And we know what happens in certain places, you know, in their homes or in their cars or something like that. So we said, okay, we're, we have two scientific types of scientific instruments, which is one is the person. The person that's in the basin that's going around and, and just doing their normal life they're not thinking about the phenomena or anything um, and then we have another piece of equipment which is electronic that's actually reading all the environmental signals that are around that particular person and then what we do is we grab data from them through their what they call annotations they would they would have a they have a like a website to go to that they could say you know today i just had a horrible headache um or i had a vision or i saw something flying in the air and then what we do is we take that back with uh we we take that and we compare it to what exactly was happening in the environment at the time that they had these experiences mm. and then then we start to get the correlation so Again, that's what Bigelow, I mean, there's all the other scientists that operate in the thing that, you know, you say, well, ATIP came in and, and did all these great experiments. Well, they probably didn't learn a lot because it's very, 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 um, it's um, obvious to Bigelow and all these people now that the, um, that what's going on now is that you can't really predict when things going to happen. You have to let it happen and be ready when it happens. And that's something we learned. So about three years ago, uh, when I had, in fact, I, I don't know if you know that, but I was on this uh, Skinwalker, uh, Secret of Skinwalker for the first season. And um, that's when I really learned that there was just no way to do science when you have, when you're trying to do the science. You have to do the science in such a way that you're, you're letting it happen, letting it happen naturally. So about three years ago, I said, well, you know, I think the best thing to do is to get out into the valley or get out to the basin, talk to the people that were in the basin having these experiences, verifiable experiences that had medical conditions that associated with it. And there was quite a few. I mean, there's several dozen of these people mm. and instrument them to the point where they can record what they're doing, how they're feeling, what they're experiencing in a database that has, you know, some kind of a timestamp to it. And then at the same time, record everything I can record 
uh, in the background without them really being aware of it or they they were cognizant of it but they weren't really aware of when what the data was and then correlate those two so around three years ago that's when we kind of kicked this thing off and we have you know quite a few instruments now that are in the basin operating that are collecting data full-time uh, i was fortunate enough to uh you know Dwayne olinger is a is a great guy he actually tried to uh or he actually is is right now instrumenting a lot of the things that he's doing and um one of the uh one of the interesting things that we're um you know we're doing now is trying to understand a little bit more what's going on right around the valley we are right around his area which is the upper well one of the actually let me back up a little one of the interesting things we found being in the basin is that a lot of the crazy things that happen to people are up near the bay or up near the canyon in the back right you know in the mountain area and that's kind of where like neola is and um la point is and all those guys up there and right. of course that's where the um the blind frog ranch is right so that's where the stuff happens so we're getting a lot of data there and getting a lot of interesting data there that um you know we're correlating with a lot of the things that people are are saying to us you know like you know we're we're getting you know i guess the everybody's watching the show now and they're and every time they come up with this new revelation oh you know we 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 pulled this stuff out of the ground or we we read this he says why no we i have you know gobs of data and all these experiences from people that show that you know in fact this stuff is true so i don't i'm not surprised they're doing this stuff and getting radiation and doing all that stuff Right, definitely. We got a, actually a $10 donation for the show from Transportador33. Thank you so much. It says, great conversation. guess I'm going to have to check out Blind Frog for some more data points. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> definitely. We should go ahead and look at some of these data points because uh, if people go into the Blind Frog Ranch outpost, they can see some of the screens of this research that's going on and the detectors and uh, we can actually show you some of that on screen as well. Um, I have a couple of different slides here. Let's see if I can pull the them second, up here. Yeah, that one. If you go over the second one, more. one third one. Yep. Third one here. Okay. Yep. If you could zoom in on that a little bit. I'll see if I can try to zoom in here. I no, might, it's okay. I might not be idea. able to there. That's okay. So this is a, um, so basically you've got instruments that are, out in the the basin that are located in specific areas with people um you can see the the diagram there on the on the right hand side where you see the, the picture of the sky there's two pictures there one of an antenna and then one of a, a, a box of electronics and that's that's something that sits outside and just gathers all sorts of information it, it gathers gamma gamma uh, radiation uh, microwave radiation it looks at the gravity vector and it records it and this is just a screenshot. This is not real time. The one that's in the and the outpost is all real time. But that's all the real time data that is going through there. And then what I have is it programmed when certain things happen to the data. Like, for instance, if I get a gamma ray spike, it'll actually create an alert. It'll actually send me an email and say, you know, we've got a gamma ray spike at this particular place. And then that gets me ready to go look at some other, uh, you know, the people's data that are entering this thing. So that's one of the bigger devices, the bigger device that's over there on the right-hand pane. That's the antenna and the electronics that sits there. And it also has a, has a camera, it actually has two cameras up top. Mm. A lot of times what people will tell me is that 
they get this strange feeling they're being watched and then they look up in the sky and sure enough they'll they'll find these things flying by which they'll take a picture of and they'll actually include that with their with their um with their annotations that they provide so i you know i have a camera that's looking at constantly what at so what I want to do is I want to be able to give these people peace of mind that they're not seeing things that are not there. So right. I'm constantly looking for these things, recording them. And if I see something that is other than a bird or a plane or something like that, or a satellite or a cloud that looks very suspicious, I log it, report it, and then I use that data hmm. to correlate it with what they're telling me. You know, they can't see this data until well after the fact. They, I give them the opportunity to see this, you know, later on i don't want to i don't want to perturb their or skew their their thoughts so that's the bigger devices then on the left side on the left side pane there's two devices there these are two different devices one is in the basin but one actually is on the west coast hmm. um so we do a lot of work on the west coast and these devices that's the real-time traces from these devices nothing really at that point that i took this nothing was really happening you can't really see anything going on but these one of these devices, the one in the upper one, it has a lot of activity. There's somebody that gets a um, has a lot of problems um, with what he calls tricksters and things like that, where he'll come home and you know, things are just you're skewing all over the place. And obviously he had his alarm on. And, and so hmm. he's had these problems for a few years. And uh, we were able to correlate this with some, believe it or not, some gamma ray spikes um, at the exact moment or during the time when he felt that, you know, things got moved around in his house. We were reading gamma. Now, I want to tell you, gamma ray is not something that you and I could produce in our house. You know, it's, right. it's not something anybody can produce in the house. You, you need specialized equipment. So when I see that kind of thing or these large uh, microwave spikes, you know, people really can't produce these things. So there's no way to fool me. And um, unless they're like NASA scientists or something like that, they're not going to be able to do it. Um, yeah. So I get pretty confident that there's uh, these things going on. So this is kind of like just a view of, in fact, this is a screenshot from the Blind Fire Crash portal that's uh, sitting in, you, there's a big screen there in the, in, the, uh, in the thing that goes all the time. Yeah. So I just took a screenshot of that. Um, so, but I have many, many other devices and there's some, actually I have a case study if you want to go to the very, or the, the, the second slide there. Sure. So this is a case study of, and this is actually, you can see the annotation that people put in here. Um, this is one of the incident reports that was produced. And uh, there was a, I guess the annotation, I can't really read it from here, but the annotation was, I've never felt. Yes, as I'm telling you last night was such a crazy night. Uh, if I were to ever say I was abducted, I would have been last night. It was the strangest experience. Yeah, that was actually came from somebody who never says anything like that. You know, they don't they don't believe in induction. They don't they don't believe in any of that stuff. But right. I guess it was so crazy that night that uh, they had some really bad dreams. They couldn't sleep afterwards. And when I went back and looked at the data, so up top is the microwave radiation. This radiation that comes from your phone, the microwave oven, your Wi-Fi. And it's normally just that blue band. If I go back days and days and days, it's nice. But exactly at the time when that person said it happened, you get these spikes in there. And it's, huh. it's just very strange what happened. And then I looked at the gamma. Now, the gamma is kind of scary if you really want to know the truth. But it's not, it's not lethal at this point. 
Normally the game, see that red line that's just jiggling? That's what you get all day long, all day long. That exact moment that sh- that that person had that particular thing, I think it was around 12 o'clock in the midnight or something. Like they were, you know, long, long since been in bed. There was this major gamma uh, shower or spikes or whatever you want to call it. And that's the the blue stuff is the actual spikes recorded by the device. And the red is the the actual kind of average of it. And you can see that it just, you know, I mean, that's unheard of to have that big of a spikes. But this person actually had some physiological changes or physiological manifestations of her uh, of her nervous system and and had extreme headaches, uh, couldn't sleep, had a very strange stream. And so and that's what they reported. It was like, this is the first time this ever happened. If I ever decided I've ever thought I was being abducted, this was the night. I guess they maybe she, I, I don't know. She woke up and like it was a little disorientated or something. But you can see, I mean, when you get that and you find this data happening at the same time, there's this like big question mark. You know what is going on? And to be honest with you, people can't produce this themselves. I mean, there's no physical way unless they went and they bought a linear accelerator and you know right. put it in their house. That's really the thing I want to impress on everybody's minds and why it's so important to have people like you on the show is because it's one thing for people to report their paranormal encounters or abduction experiences and be like, wow, I had this whole like near death experience or out of body experience or paranormal encounter. But when you can actually measure something scientifically with devices, just like we showed on this last slide, you have this detection equipment in the yard. They've got one of these sensors that they're either carrying on them or that's in their home. uh, And they're almost like a human biosensor. And you're able to overlap those layers of evidence from their personal witness encounter and their testimony of what they experienced as a eyewitness or experiencer. But then you overlap that with at the same day and time, there was a phenomenon. There was an uptick in gamma radiation, something was actually there occurring in physical reality. This isn't just solely sub uh, psychic subconscious episode or something. You're actually capturing something in the real environment that's occurring and changing associated with this. And I think that's critical for people to understand that part of what you're doing and, and how important that is. And I think it's important for the actual people that this happens to. I mean, if, if you were sitting in your house and all of a sudden you you, you became this, you know, you, you got these hallucinations. It's like you say, wow, what's wrong with me? I mean, do I have a tumor or what's going on? But if you say, well, it really happened because something in the environment caused it to happen. Right. And again, I don't I want to stress to everyone that this is not these levels, although they look pretty high and significant. They're still not dangerous. There's still more microwaves inside your microwave oven than sitting, um, you know, sitting sure. on that first slide. Gamma, that's a little high. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be exposed to that for any long period of time. Um, but there's, um, you know, it's 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 good for the people to understand that they didn't make it up and they're not just crazy. I mean, exactly. Of, of all of the, all of the things that came out of this thing. It's giving the people that is happening to a little peace of mind to say they're not making this up and there's nothing really, I shouldn't say there's nothing wrong with them, but there's nothing wrong with them to the point where they're just hallucinating. Yeah, there's substance in reality to uh, an actual evidence of what's occurring to them, even if they can't 
grasp or fathom what they witnessed or what the side effects of that experience sure. are, you're actually capturing that there something did occur and it's not just happening within the brain or within their own subconscious. I think that's huge for people that are concerned about this, especially the people uh, that are getting sick and actually injured by it. Yeah. You know, talking about a, a location and a place where there's been historical, even cattle mutilations and animal mutilations that go uh, throughout many decades and have been researched alongside all of this. And, and yep. I mean, maybe we can talk about that in a minute, but um, yeah, so you're capturing actual spikes in gamma radiation and microwave radiation that correlate with, right when a person in the middle of the night feels like they had like an abduction encounter. And so yeah, maybe, that's right. It's fascinating. Yeah. So maybe you can I mean, walk it, us through it, some of these other slides yeah. here too. And I just want to be, be clear that sometimes nothing happens. I mean, there are people that have experiences and you look at the data, there's nothing there. Hmm. Um, but it doesn't mean that there's nothing there. It's just that, you know, I guess it could be two things. Maybe this, the equipment's not sophisticated enough to pick it up or, you know, I don't know. It's, it's a lot of uh, speculation as far as if you don't get an exact correlation. I just wanted to show you what happens is that it, this is exactly the same time. So one is this top one is the gravity. So if you go back to that slide, so the third one, the second one, the middle one is the gravity. You can see mm -hmm. that the gravity vector, it's the, it's the, the gravity vector is something that we count on every day to keep us on the ground. And our brain is very, very receptive or very, very, um, it could be bothered or, or I don't know exactly how to say it properly, but it, there could, it, it could really affect us if right. um, the gravity vector varies just a little bit. And you can see that pink line, that's the actual gravity vector. And it just, it was going along very, very nicely. All of a sudden it just popped huh. and, and it just had a little deviation there. And again, you know, very, had a very bad night um, manifested in a, um, you know, neurological symptoms that were very acute at that point. So that's what happened. And then the acceleration vector, the one above it, that's like, you know, that doesn't normally happen. Right. It's and we don't, crazy. and we don't know why or what's causing this. This is what's so mind boggling is that everybody's expecting that this might be coming from underground yeah. could be like a ge geological effects, like a piezoelectric, like, I don't even know the proper scientific wordage for it, but um, how is this coming down from the sky up above and hitting people and up from different angles and, you know? Well, yeah, it's a couple schools of thought. Um, you know, it, it, the thing is, is that it's, it doesn't, it, if it's a consistent signal and it was always on and it was always being high, then I would say, well, it's probably something natural that's sitting in the ground, but it's not. It's something that happens very transient. It's very quick. So is it something that's flying over their head that has, that's doing surveillance or something like that? Is it a very sophisticated drone that, that maybe be looking, you know, if you want to, you know, conspiracy theorists um, would love this to say, you know, it's, it's a, it's a drone from another country that's spying on us. And then we're just getting, you know, a look at the signals. So that's possible or it's some other kind of vehicle, but it looks to be, first of all, the, uh, the, the radiation, the microwave radiation doesn't go well under the ground. So probably it's not coming from underneath. 
you know, it has to be going through the air or along the all along the uh, the surface of the earth. Mm. So it's probably coming from above, you know, or I wouldn't say above. It's coming from above the ground, you know, the originating just because of the way the microwave um, actually is persistent. Now, the gamma could come from the ground. The gamma has no problem going through earth. Right. Uh, but the microwave stuff can't very well. That's so interesting. So, yeah, because a lot of, you know, I've kind of held this theory that maybe there was something to do with the flowing aquifers and the water, like the crystalline structures of the geology creating some sort of yep. resonance that creates a an anomaly in the electromagnetic field of the earth or something. But it seems like it's coming from the sky or something transient that moves so. around. And yep. uh, does it seem to target individuals or have you noticed well, like repeated individuals get targeted or does that, that move around as well? Well, okay, here's an interesting case. One of the things that we do, we, we've been recording now for three years. Uh, we have terabytes worth of data, you know, many terabytes worth of data. One thing we did notice, though, and actually was an interesting couple cases where if the people leave, if they go away or if they go on vacation, the signals, all of these things stop. And it was interesting, though. There was a particular case where a person who had a lot of activity, I mean, consistently a lot of activity, every week there'd be something happened to them. You know, they would report that, you know, I had this experience and then I would have some correlation to data. Then all of a sudden it stopped and it was just like flatlined. It was everything was very uh, benign. It was, you know, very, very. And, you know, like a week after that, I says, you know, I don't understand. Is there something wrong with your device? You know, nothing is going on. You know, there's no gamma spikes. There's nothing. They said, well, um, I was away for two weeks. They were they had literally gone on vacation for two weeks. So the answer to that is in that's not just and I had many, many experiences like that where I would say, well, what's going on? You know, why isn't there any data coming through from your device anymore? Not, not data, but interesting data. Right. And they say, yeah, we're not here anymore. We haven't been home for a few weeks. So that was probably the most interesting thing. And that goes back to if you're not there, then the phenomena, whatever it is, really doesn't interact with you. So I think that, that to answer your question, I think it's people-based, but people-based in a specific location, or they have to be in a certain place or environment, or they have yeah. to be doing certain things. Really? So you feel like it's like there's a, the human element. Do you think it's uh, genetic or biological? Like certain people are more, their DNA is more wired, almost like an antenna to inter interface with these sorts of signals and have the phenomena occur to them? Or what do you think? I think so. On? I think that's exactly right. I think that some of us, like, like myself, you know, we all have these rational brains and irrational brains. Some people have more irrational than rational. So if something ever happened to me, I would probably spend my whole brain would just go into the, I'm going to rationalize it and I'm going to ignore it and I'm not going to pay attention to it. But there's some people that have like, the people that have like really good imaginations, uh, people that, or people that maybe had some problems with some neurological problems or high fevers at one point. And it just makes them more susceptible to receiving these and not passing it off as, you know, some rational thing like, you know, oh, that's just, it's just a headache or something like that. Right. So it just, it just seems that of the, all the people that are in the study, the people that have the most interaction, the most interesting things are all people that either had some prior condition 
or are the type of people that are very, very um, imaginative. Maybe they write books or, you know, they're artsy or they're doing, they do a lot of things with that side of their brain. The, but the technical people like myself, I, unfortunately, I think that I just, my brain just says, yeah, you're, you're crazy. Don't even pay attention to whatever you just felt. So I think certain people have a propensity to be more receptive to these things. So if you're, if you have these traits and you feel, and you get these, these things, you know, feel yourself lucky. Cause I don't, unfortunately, but I know that if you look at the, if you look at all the people in the study that have this, they pretty much all have something that ha- either happened to them or they have this unique personality where, you know, they have this ability. Do you think it might have to do with some of the inheritance or ancestry of the people that lived indigenously in the neighborhood? Or do you think that has nothing to do with it? Because it feels like it's so tied into the cultural heritage of the region as well. The folklore and the myths and the experiences of their entire belief systems revolve around it. And I almost wonder if living in certain environments almost has like a cymatic effect on your biology and it makes certain cultures of indigenous people more attuned to the nature that they existed in for maybe a thousand years or I don't know. What are your thoughts on that, Jim? Well, being in the basin um, and a lot of people like in Arizona and things like that. So it it turns out that there is a certain group of people, um, certain, certain um, ethnic group that have, a very, very high uh, reception to this stuff. You know, people that live that natively in the area that have been there for hundreds and thousands of years, you know, there may be spiritual in nature. They may be the, you know, they have a great beliefs or religious beliefs and things like that. And, you know, there's, I have a partner that I work with who is a native American who is in touch with all these people and she knows everybody. And um, one of the things that we conclude is that, you know, it's very, very, the reception to these, to, to this phenomena is very, very high in, in her, in her, uh, in the people that she knows. Right. Yeah. And almost to the point where you see evidence of that up around Blind Frog Ranch, possibly with uh, the smelting operations, the different yep. mine, mining of particular types of precious minerals. It makes you wonder if they were almost culturally trying to interface with it more intuitively because like, well, we have like one of these comments coming in uh, from someone called Beware of the Yellowstone talking about the gallium that was found and the, the gold and the weights of that, the benefits, like how it's sort of a conductor uh, and we use it in our electronics and things. Do you think somehow that geology was being and, and the minerals of the earth were being utilized and kind of interpreted by these ancient cultures and all of that sort of blended together to become what it is now or could be i think gallium is one of those type of materials that you know don't really have a lot of uses outside of the exotic uses that we have today like you know, doing um, ion drives or using electronics and things like that but as a material that is was fascinating, I would say that that for any culture that goes back, that material is, is amazing. You hold it in your hand. You can do all sorts of things with it. It's it could be a religious thing. It could be a something of great value to people. But you know, when I heard about gallium, it was like, oh my god, because I used to experiment with it all the time um, mm-hmm. back when I worked with Hal Putoff, where 
where we're making ion engines and using that as our not our fuel but it was the vehicle to create because you always to create thrust and you're creating ions from this thing so when i started heard that i said wow that's amazing yeah so it's all kind of interconnected and it makes you wonder if there's something that has to do with that and that they understood in the ancient cultures and we're just trying to either rediscover it today or Mm -hmm. if it was not really used by ancient cultures but this is where the kind of the ancient astronaut theory comes in where there was maybe a an invasion of sorts from other beings that wanted to use those sorts of elements yeah. that existed for a while it makes well, you if i was to make a spaceship trust me it would have gallium as my propellant really oh yeah absolutely i think that for that type of thing that's exactly what you want um that's huh you don't want to have a rocket motor but a gallium ion engine or thruster would be perfect yeah, and then I guess if you if you had near faster than light travel or whatever, you're bordering on time travel in a way, and maybe you'd get your fuel from alternate past timelines or whatever, and we could be experiencing all sorts of anomalies like that, especially sure. if there's deposits up in certain yeah. parts of the Earth. Yeah, maybe that's what makes it so attractive for that area. Civilizations have come there and, and used that material. I mean, there's bismuth, bismuth in the area. Bismuth is an amazing conductor. Um, it's very, very unique. I don't know if you remember this thing called Arts Parts. They found a, um, it was, what was it? Magnesium, zinc, bismuth um, layers, very, very thin layers. And that would be the perfect combination to make a, what they call a waveguide. It's um, to transfer large amounts of energy over a little tiny thing to huh. to certain things. So. You know, when you start seeing bismuth in the area and you start seeing um, gallium in the area, you know, big question marks come up. And, and iridium and different elements. And they're oh, all yeah, yeah. localized around this. And so you start to get these theories of there being a meteorite impact or some sort of yeah. strange anomaly that occurred. But it definitely makes these locations so unique. But, you, you know, your research has expanded throughout that. You said you're doing stuff all up around the the West Coast and elsewhere. West Coast, East Coast, yep. Yeah, can you talk about that at all? Is it similar types of research, or what are oh, what are you working yeah, on? Yeah, very similar. Um, yeah. So what we're doing. So if you go back to that screen, there was two others I wanted to show just yeah, yeah. quickly. I know we're running short on time. On the right two ones. Yeah, we're we're um, totally fine on time. So one of the interesting things that had happened over the course of a couple of years is that. When we had this original injury, we had said that it looked to be something like a a radiation uh, beam that came in or a pulse radiation beam that came in and caused the damage. Mm-hmm. Around the time that we did this, there was this there was a incident in Havana called uh, at the embassy in Havana where fifty some odd or actually it was twenty five some odd embassy personnel got hit with something some something that caused uh, some pretty significant damage to them. Later on, it was called the Havana syndrome. Uh, right. I don't know if you've heard of that, but yeah. it's, um, it's something now that's all over the news. It's a big thing now. But back then, you know, when we came out with our analysis and said it was, it was a radiation spike that did this to this particular patient, years later, after the Havana syndrome went through um, many, many investigations, the Academy of Sciences which is a you know, National Academy of Sciences, a very well-known organization that does a lot of experiments. 
did a final report on the Havana syndrome cases, all 50 of them, and their final analysis was that it was a radiation spike that oh. came out. So if you read their their uh, report, that's you know clearly stated in there. So we have been reading these radiation spikes for three years now. And if this is an this is one of the incidents, so you can see the, the normal blue line is a, is every day. It's Wi-Fi. It's your cell phone. You know, it, it's you know who knows what it is. It's all sorts of stuff in there. Just that um, background default. Yeah, it's just stuff going. Yeah. You know, normal day. But then we had this monster spike on this particular day, and in exactly at that moment, I, I don't want to read that with it. Don't read that. What that is, I, don't, I should have blanked that one out. But that was an annotation that somebody had put in. Um, for when it when that happened, you know, they had some kind of a incident. So this was not in the basin. This was someplace else, more towards the um, Washington area, I would say. Mm. Um, but these are incidents that happen all over the country. So what the government is now spending money to investigate this Havana syndrome, you know, we've had this data that we've been collecting now for the past few years that show these definitive spikes that are coming up with people. And there is, um, you know, there's there's definitely going to be a um, a correlation between what we're finding and then what they're going to eventually find with the in investigations that they're doing. So this is one. And there's another one, I think. Yeah. This, so there's another one hmm. of a day. This is a different case where, again, they were just average going along. This is, I guess, the stuff on the left side. That's all the Wi-Fi stuff. You know, that's just that jiggly sure. stuff. But then you get these monster spikes. Um, we count the, the, the devices that record this are calibrated. And to, in order to make this, you'd have to actually have one of those big RF horn or the, um, the, the radio frequency horns, you know, yeah. big microwave horns, and actually point it at the device. And I doubt very much these people have this in their basement. So, yeah. And you have so to have pretty sophisticated equipment to do it. So this came from something. We don't know what it came from, but... You know, they kind of came to us and said, you know, that the next day or maybe a couple of days later, they says, you know, I had a terrible headache that day where my my nose was my I had an unexplained nosebleeds and I never get nosebleeds and things like that. So what does this indicate to you? Does this indicate to you some sort of like a phenomenon occurring with like our solar system, solar flares or space anomalies and radiation? across like Could be. Yeah. vast Could deep be. space, you know, or yeah. is, is it something more local or extra dimensional, you know, because Bigelow wound up now he's doing afterlife studies and Hal Putoff is all involved in the To the Stars Academy mm -hmm. and other, you know, exotic propulsion methods and UFO research and was involved in consciousness studies. So uh, what is your take on all of this from your perspective as a as a scientist well there's you know that, that's actually not in the that's more the philosophy range so the scientist's sure. job is to collect the data to present it and to to not really go to the next level where but you know if you take the, that hat off and you put your your other hats on you know i look at this thing i i i think there's two possibilities um there is some terrestrial type of intelligence somebody some government or I wouldn't even say government now that with everything is privatized, you know, some company that is possibly has a very sophisticated stealthy drone that flies over and, you know, has equipment to do some surveillance. I mean, that's very, very possible. And like it I could be like the satellite technology, like of the Cold War era where they were trying to beam signals into people. Yes, or absolutely. Yep. Hmm. 
uh, but up in drones or maybe up in, you know, maybe not at the satellite level. I mean, the satellite level is kind of high to do this, maybe at the drone level. These drones are pretty sophisticated now. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of a um, lot of power in them to create these very, very high radiation spikes. Uh, so that's a possibility where another agency, a terrestrial agency is doing this. And then the other possibility that it's coming from something extraterrestrial, some gamma spikes that or or you know a, a binary star that explodes or something like that that's creating these things is very possible hmm. but then again you look at it and you say well why is it happening just to these people you know why is it happening to them and you and you put the device someplace else that's not to, so i have devices that are separated by i think you know mile say um rf if it came from the sky would would spread out pretty far before it hit the ground yeah. Um, so one doesn't get it, but one gets it. So how do you explain that in a uh, logical way where it looks more targeted, like it came from like a phased array? So if it came from like uh, some, you know, some natural phenomena, it would come in spread out and it would be in the whole general area. You know, you'd pick it up in this device and this device and this device. But if it was like one device, it was very concentrated. You have to say, like, you know, did it come out some kind of a phased array, you know, some kind of a. A focus type of beam. And I think that's what the government's looking at. They're looking at a very fast focused energy beam. That's so interesting. Because you're right. If it was like uh, some solar flare or an, a star exploding in the distant space, sending like a scattering of soup of radiation onto a certain area, you would get like a wash of it. It wouldn't be so focused because you're talking about sometimes individuals within a home, but the other people even in the home don't experience it. That's right. There's just like one person almost targeted, which uh, again leads back to like how put off a lot of his original research was with laser technology and focus. Oh yeah. He was a big laser guy. Yep. Right. Fascinating. So it, it might all tie into that, like this idea of, oh, I'm just wrapping my head around this. Because we have this whole layer of the Cold War era technology that was occurring at the same time as these experiments on psychic warfare that were going on. So you had focused laser beam technology and research being done at the same time as consciousness studies and being able to do remote viewing Mm -hmm. and projecting of thoughts and reading minds, telekinesis and such. And at the same time, you've got the Star Wars race with the satellites being built and drone technology coming sure. out in these black projects. And so all of that could easily be interpreted as like psychic holographic manipulation of different individuals or experimentation or, uh, you know, government involvement with projected yeah. psychic warfare and weapons going on in the Cold, Cold War. But it seems so strange that it would be revolving around the Uintah Basin. Do you do you find that it is? Or is that just kind of like because the television shows are focused up on Blind Frog Ranch and Skinwalker Ranch? Do you think it's more broad than that? Well, I think that it's all over the country, all over the world. But I think they're in the basin. There's a very specific flavor of it. Hmm. It manifests itself in a very specific way. It, you know, it, no other place, if you go to like the East Coast, the people are having issues in the East Coast where they just basically see spikes. You know, they don't ever see anything in the sky. They don't ever see anything. They don't have any crazy things happening in their home except for themselves. They'll get the nosebleeds, they'll get the ear, um, ear pains, they'll get tinnitus and all that kind of stuff. 
But in the basin, it's where you start seeing, um, you'll start seeing these crazy things. The dog will start barking and you'll see things in the sky. And you'll, so mm. it just seems that in the basin, the people in the basin spend most of their time looking up where everybody else doesn't really look up, you know, because they don't really see anything. But there seems to be a lot of stuff in the sky. Now, whether or not it's just so clear there and the there's East Coast and West Coast, there's a lot of pollution, so we can't see very high. Um, out there, there's no pollution or very little pollution. So you can see a lot and you can see satellites going by. You can watch a satellite go by. You can, you know, if you look really close, you probably see the, see the space station. Um, but you see these lower lower altitude things that fly over that that are not satellite they're not in, in synchronous orbit they just fly them by you know pretty fast some yeah. sometimes they change directions which is kind of disturbing um and these are the people this is what they experience so well you know and i get these pictures and videos all the time you know the first when i first got these things it was like yeah really you know this is just a bird or this is but then you start looking at them and you start looking at their data that you start looking at experiences and you start taking these things seriously. It's like, wait a minute, these, these people are, are not making this up. They're not dreaming it. They're not hallucinating it. You've got the data now to yep. correlate. You've got the, the sensor readings, you've got the radiation readings, and then you've got also a lot of times imagery depicting objects that they're seeing yep. as well, that they're taking. So it's starting to paint this entire picture. What's, strange for me is how often these experiences are like correlated with this alien abduction phenomenon or even with like skinwalkers and bigfoot or shadow people do you what are your thoughts or speculations on that do you think it's the cognitive effect cognitive effects that it's having on a person person's perceptions of reality and creating sort of a altered state of consciousness when they're hit with certain radiations or do you think it's opening up their perception to perceive other dimensions of reality or other places in time anomalously? Or what are your thoughts on that? Well, so when I when I finished my education, I did a postdoc. And a postdoc is where you go and you do this research. And I was fortunate enough to end up in a radiation oncology area uh, to do my research. And I worked with the people that were giving um, cancer patients uh treatments for for um, lesions in their head mm. so i would a lot of times be with them and, and talk to the patients afterwards and the strangest things would come out of it you know they would be in this machine that's bombarding their head with radiation and they would come out and say you know i'm sitting in here getting a treatment and you guys are having a party what was what was all that noise and then you know some people would say you know while i was in there getting radiation i smelled pizza well, you know why were you guys eating pizza mm. but we, of course we never did um, but what happens when things hit your head, you get all of these neurons firing, you get all these action potentials that are firing, and who knows what's going on in your head? So people that maybe see things that we don't see, they, they might have gotten hit by something, their brain's trying to rationalize it, they build a story around it. You know, of course, we're great scientific instruments, but we're terrible reporters. So you get these people that say, you know, I, I saw this being that came into you know my my room here but maybe it was just that they they did get hit by something and their brain is trying to figure it out and there and your back brain your subconscious has just built a nice little story for you now i'm not saying that's true i'm just saying that i had a lot of experience in these with these patients that 
said right. basically the same things. Yeah, we don't we don't consciously we're not aware of our default mode as human beings. You know, we wake up in the morning and just get dressed and we have this conversation that goes on in our minds. We don't really fathom how there's like this whole liquid crystal balancing mechanism within our skull that yeah. helps your whole sense of reality be upright and not feel like it's spinning off its axis and like you're falling through the floor. And there's all these different systems that go on electromagnetically and plasma forms within the, the brain. And we don't consider how we exist in a world where we're bombarded with these frequencies and with these radiations and these waveforms that just basically wash through us all the time. Every satellite signal, Wi-Fi signal, radio signal is washing through our reality 24-7 and we just don't perceive it. But then when you get into certain areas like this, like up in the Uintah Basin and around, um, it seems like there's these these spikes that occur where particular individuals are get tapped into some sort of energy or they go into a particular zone or biologically they're attuned to it and they have these spikes in these perceptions. And you're right. It's almost like you're seeing a Rorschach ink blot or some sort of a phenomenon occurring and your subconscious just paints over what that is. Mm -hmm. And it might look like a, something paranormal or ball of light in the sky. But what's so interesting is how, the evidence is showing that there is something physical to it. There is things getting captured on camera. There is stuff being detected that it is real. It's not just all in the head. So, I mean, what is your best stab at that? Do you think, I mean, we have kind of wrestled around this a few different times, but if you had to say whether it was experimental government stuff, or do you think it's, you know, because the legends in the, the ancient folklore go back, hundreds if not thousands of years and the petroglyphs in the region all kind of indicate that this stuff was going on a long time so could it just be like china or russia or some government program or do you think it's something stranger than that well it could be both it could be that it, it's not too crazy to think that this has been going on for thousands of years right but just like united states and we would see these signals and maybe we could reverse engineer these and learn a little bit about them and use them ourselves. So maybe we've adopted the technologies that have been developed or that we've witnessed over the years. You know, it was, it was spouted that Russia had these um, amazing uh, electronic devices that were able to you know, read your mind and things like that. It's possible that they reverse engineered a signal that they found and they started building devices around that. So maybe it came from something extraterrestrial and just be, became part of our technological of course we don't hear about it. it's more of a secret thing in the government but right you know i would say that it, if it was government based then of course the big question mark is what the hell would they care about you into base <laughs> but, right. um, um but there are things there that are very interesting of course but I would say that it was probably somebody looking at the at the area, something, I don't want to say extraterrestrial or ETs or anything like that, something that they're very interested in whatever resources that area, particular area has. Hmm. And, and they're finding all sorts of crazy things there. Yeah, they really are. The, the whole history and the geology seems to speak of that. If there was 
some sort of cargo cult or like culture extraterrestrials that came and needed supplies for their propulsion systems or they needed gallium or whatever, it seems like they would come and explore some of these hot spots and it would create that. But yep. it's so fascinating that they would seem to target individuals and there seems to be like pulsar beams. And you hear these experiences. Like I remember, I don't know if you're familiar with like Philip K. Dick. He wrote a series of books. He wrote one called Valis. Um, but that was his whole thing. It was like he claimed that he was basically sitting in his house and it was like a beam of radiation or energy came through the wall of his house and into his mind. And it was like he had a whole download of information, but it also made him kind of like a conspiracy theorist about, you know, satellite images being beamed into people and all of that. And it kind of, he ended up writing several books about it, but um, it really does make you wonder if there was an advanced entity or extraterrestrial beings or something, how they would try to come down and study us by reading our minds or yeah. reading the environment and scanning things. And if there was stuff in the environment they were looking for yeah. and they would pick particular individuals that had a certain resonance they could tap into to try and interface with, who knows, you yeah. know? So on your edge of the research, does it feel like that conversation is like, fairly known and kept secret or does it still feel very speculative and unknown to you? I think speculative. And I, and I, what we do or what I'm doing in this particular study is that we don't even go that far. We don't even go to the point where we put a finger on what it is. Yeah. So the, our whole objective is not, is more to say, look, we know the phenomena happens. We have a way of recording it on different instruments and that's what happened way back, you know, when we, we had the first patient, we said, okay, here's a method that we can, you know, further learn about this thing. So, okay, let's do that for a little while. So we built some equipment we had a procedure in place and we did that for a little, and then we learned something. We said, okay, oh, now we're a little bit smarter. Now we make another generation of the equipment. Now we got a little bit better. We got a little bit more focused. Uh, we start understanding more about how we interact with the people and then we say, okay, well, now that that taught us something. So we do that for a couple of years and we do that. And now we're at the next phase. You know, we're in this phase that we're in right now. You know, we said we know exactly what it looks like, you know, what these signals look like. So we have a piece of equipment that kind of gets in there. And then we know how to, to, to treat the people and talk to the people and, and gather information about that. So it's not until we go down the road where we get more and more refined and focused in until we say, ah, there it is. Yeah, there it is. It's under the ground or there it is. It's up in the sky. You know, I don't, we're not there yet, but we need a lot more data points. We need, you know, right now we have we have we need 10 times as many devices out there and 10 times the amount of people or 100 times the amount of people involved in the study. And then we can say, oh, yeah, OK. And it's all about statistics. It's all about gathering. You know, right now we're about four sigma, which is not very good. Um, in predicting these things or actually getting an idea of when they're going to happen and how they're going to happen. We need to be up in the five and six sigma, which means, I mean, that's way, way beyond what we have right now. So we're a long way off, but at least we're on the road to go there. So how, what's the next step in order to get further down that road or to move the ball further down towards the finish line there? Is it more participants, participants will, no, yeah. willing and how, like if anybody watched the show and they're like, I'm having strange out-of-body experiences or paranormal things occurring. Like, how could they maybe get one of these devices and begin to participate in the research to help gather the information and get to the bottom of it? 
Well, we have a way of, there's a, um, a website that we have. It's, um, I don't know if you, you can list it. It's, it's mupas.org. It's www.mupas.org. And I have a little thing in there that, that allows you to enter your name and be a participant. But we have, you know, mostly what we do is we do word of mouth. People that we know, like we have medical conditions. So we, you know, we work with doctors. We have a lot of people that, you know, come to us through other people that we know. But that is, it's like very, very slow growth. And we're looking to say, well, I think it's now to the point where we need to accelerate this. So we're looking at different ways of getting out there and making it a little bit more. So anybody that wants to get involved can get involved. Um, so we're on that road. Or right now it's more just doing things, you know, with people that we know. So that's the next step. That's great. So uh, one last kind of final thing that I wanted to cover with you in all of your time going to these locations and talking with people who've experienced this, there's these discussions about the hitchhiker phenomenon or how it yes. kind of yep. rubs off on you in, in such a way, or like it is, it does have to do with the individual being heightened and it somehow playing off of them and feeding off of that. Have you personally experienced anything unusual any kind of effects in your life or family or has anything seemed to follow you around that seems odd? Me, no. Uh, fortunately, me, no. Um, however, a third of the people that are in the study all have a hitchhiker type of experience where they've come back from some area, mostly the Uinta Basin, they come back, not specifically anywhere, you know, we talked about any of the ranches, but they've spent time there and their family members have gotten terribly sick. You know, there's um, I don't you know, there's a lot of people that had so about a third of the people in the study actually have brought it back, and the people that their family members are the ones that are the experiencers now, where they had never been before. Hmm. So the hitchhiker's syndrome is real. I mean, I don't I don't really I don't can't discount it because we have enough data to at least say that that's real. Yeah, it makes you wonder how does that how does that factor in? Because if you try to if you do try to jump ahead past the evidence and say what the heck is going on, what is yeah. doing this or causing it, it becomes so mind boggling because it's not just things flying around in the air; it's following people home and causing effects in their personal life. It's so strange yeah. the whole the whole thing. So that's really cool. Um, so you're doing research all over the place. What is it about Blind Frog Ranch specifically that's got you attracted to that place? Is it the, to me, a lot of it is the family, the the Ollinger family, Dwayne and Chad, and those guys are uh, just so honest and open and they want to like get to the bottom of what's going on. They're willing to work with people, but what is it about that particular location that attracts you up there? Well so that whole upper region of of the Uinta Basin, near, near the canyon, up in that area, is very attractive. So there's a lot of things that happen there, but I'm, it's not really so much the ranch that draws me to that. It's it's Dwayne. I mean, he's the guy that uh, when I I talked to him for the first time, I met him a little while ago, maybe, you know, maybe six months ago or something, mm -hmm. and he said to me, unlike a lot of other people in the basin, he said, "I want to figure what's going on." I want to figure out what's going on and I want to tell everybody. My view is I want everybody to know. So as soon as he said that, you know, that was said, I got to work with this guy because he's he's in the basin. He's got relationships. He can hook, you know, people up together and he knows people. 
So it's more about working with Dwayne than actually the, the ranch itself. I mean, although the ranch is a great place to do investigations, but again, you have to have people interacting, doing things, and to have that those people there doing the show, digging and all that is perfect because that means they're interacting, not really paying attention to the phenomena. They're trying to get gold. They're trying to get rich. And that's when the real things happen. They're not paying attention to or trying to read the phenomena. They're trying to just do what they're doing and let the thing happen. Right. So I think it's a great opportunity. I really think it is too. I love working with that family and the whole team and everybody revolved around it. Do you, so is there plans then this year to start installing more sensory equipment and things like that up around that edge of the basin? I'd say, oh, absolutely. I mean, no question about it. What's going to happen specifically with Dwayne? You got to talk to Dwayne. That's kind of, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to spill that one. That's all forthcoming, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Jim, if anybody wanted to look up your research uh, or follow you or maybe reach out, reach out to you, what's the best way that they could uh, do Facebook. that? Facebook. I have the, I, you can search me on Facebook. I think it's just Jim Sagala. Okay. I'm not real, uh, I'm not too familiar with Facebook, but I have a Facebook that I, I post the things that, uh, you know, the current stuff, any, any kind of weird things that happen that I can document that I have some really good confidence levels on. I post those things. That's awesome. Jim, it's been such a pleasure, like picking your brain today. I know that everybody watches the TV shows, they get a sense of it and they get sucked into the folklore, the ufology and everything. And they lose sight of the fact that there's real, credible research that's ongoing daily, like you said, terabytes and terabytes of information and, and data that's, and it's starting to paint a picture. It's mm -hmm. starting to come together and coalesce into a bigger idea and perspective of what's yep. going on. And it has impacts that could drastically change the, the way that we understand ourselves and the nature of reality and our oh, yeah. planet yeah. as a whole. Yep. So what is it, Jim, our last final thoughts here? What is it that drives you in this research that keeps you the most hooked? Is it the mystery or? Yeah, that's it's the big question mark. Yeah. Hate question marks, right? You got to. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. And I love your approach to it, your scientific approach. And uh, we'll have to get some of your friends to come on the show, too. That would be really interesting yep. to pick your brain and, and everybody else's as well. So Jim, thanks so much for joining you us betcha. tonight. Everybody else over in the comments, appreciate you guys and we'll see you guys in the next one. Okay. Thanks. Bye.